what Brooklyn sounds like. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Brooklyn Free Radio. This is Objection to the Rule. I am Raymond Curtis, and we have here with us as well Violet. Violet, how is everything going? Hey, everything's good. Good to be back in the studio. Yeah, I know. After two weeks, and it's been a crazy, crazy two weeks. Yeah. Crazy for the government, crazy for us, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's the first uh, objection to the rule of the new year. So happy new year, everyone! Ringing in the rule uh, with ringing in the new year with uh, Radio Free Brooklyn. Are you ready to start crossing out the eight for the next three months and writing a nine over the top of it? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what I'm going to do. Uh, so today we're going to get into it with the ever stretching, ever expanding government shutdown, uh, a new House of Representatives populism and its discontents in Brazil and in Hungary, and a new twist in the L train saga for us here in Brooklyn. Um, so, uh, how'd your holidays go, Raymond? My holidays were great. I didn't. Um, I didn't go anywhere. We, nice. my husband and I, decided to stay home. Every all the families were doing different things and spouses and stuff like that. We're going different places. So we were like, you know, we're just going to stay here. Mm-hmm. We're going to relax. We're going to get our own tree. We're going to get our own presents. Very nice. We had our little puppy dog with oh. us and. Uh, so, so yeah, for Christmas and New Year's, we were right here in East Williamsburg, living it up. It was great. Very nice. Very nice. What kind of dog do you guys have? We have a boxer pit bull, oh. actually. It's the first pit bull that I've ever had, and I have fallen in love. Like, That's they great. are the They're supposed sweetest, to be sweet. sweetest yeah. dogs I've ever seen. And I've had some, I've had, I grew up with dogs, so mm-hmm. those pit bulls, man, they who knew? They look so scary, and then they crawl up on you yeah. and smile <laughs> and cuddle. cuddle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I went out with uh, my boyfriend and his family down to Miami, so we had a warm uh, if uh, a warm Christmas with lots of family together time. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it's nice. Um, so uh, let's get right into it with national news. Um, Raymond, uh, what went on this week? We had, and, and, and really over the last couple of weeks that we've, since we're going to be discussing these things, because it's been, it's been quite a holiday season for everyone. Uh, to begin with, let's just start with the, the good stuff. The 116th class of Congress broke barriers before members even set foot into Washington. And now Democrats have seized control of the House on Thursday with fresh voices and some new energy as they prepare to take on President Donald Trump. Many of them inspired to run because of his presidency, actually. So longtime Democrat leader Nancy Pelosi of California also made history on Thursday when she won back the speaker's gavel and reclaimed a title that she had held from 2007 to 2011, the first woman to hold that title, um, and now the first and second. So uh, the party breakdown in the new House of Representatives is 235 Democrats and 199 Republicans with one unfilled seat. So what we're looking at really is what can we hope to see as we over the next two years while the Democrats are at the helm again after eight years of not having the control of the House. And what changes should we expect in the working dynamics of the three branches now in the federal government? So now that we have Republicans only in two, so we have Republicans in the Senate, and we have Republicans in the White House, right? but we have Democrats in the House, and that's a very, very important House to hold. That's the investigative House. Right. So they're the ones that are going to start looking into things, and it's going to be interesting to see what they find. We also uh, have the government shutdown that was halted. That's halted paychecks for hundreds of thousands. I think it's a little over 800,000 federal workers. Um, and it's, it has just began its third 
week on Saturday with no end in sight. We've got a standoff which has heavily affected national parks and other operations and threatens to halt payments as varied as food stamps and tax refunds coming up. And this is this has uh, made Trump's unrealized border wall the focal point of his presidency as he seeks to make good on a signature campaign promise. Now, Trump told reporters Friday that he wants to reopen the government but is prepared to maintain the shutdown for weeks or even years, he said. I want to make another little addition. <laughs> you can't to- see the face I'm making. Yeah, yeah. it's terrible. He, he doubled down today on, on, um, on calling a, uh, an emergency, a national emergency, to get the wall built, to mm-hmm. get money for the wall. Um, seizing property from Americans mm-hmm. if he needs to. He is really trying to terrify all of us. Right. Um, and uh, so, I, I mean, we want to know, like, what are we, what are we, what are the two sides of this? I think it's important to lay that out really clearly. Mm-hmm. And who do we expect to break first? I know who I expect. Um, so where, where, where should we start? You pick. You yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think, you know, the shutdown's on, prominent on everyone's mind, so maybe we should... Uh, go in that direction. Um, two main sides. That's an interesting question. I mean, uh, obviously we have Trump versus the Democrats, but it seems in a lot of ways we also have Trump versus the Republicans, you know? I, w- I wish we would hear more from them. Mm-hmm. I wish we would hear more Republicans speaking out. And um, I don't remember, there was a governor that just spoke out calling for Trump to make a deal and end the shutdown. Right. You know, Dem- Democrats in the House have already been coming forward with proposals, and right. they had been before that. In fact, there was a proposal that didn't include wall money, if everyone remembers, mm-hmm. uh, before the shutdown that passed the House, passed the Senate, and um, Trump wouldn't sign it. And so we ended up in a situation where it's a stalemate, and Democrats aren't going to allow Trump to waste $5 billion at plus um, just to make some kind of statement and feel, fulfill some kind of campaign promise that doesn't actually accomplish anything. Right. And the other side of that is, you know, the era of unchecked power for Trump is over. It's, uh, yeah. you know, he still has control of, uh, of uh, the uh, Senate, but House of Representatives is not going to go his way. Uh, and he's going to have to sort of either learn to work with them or sort of dig his heels in even further and alienate himself from Republicans if he wants to keep his agenda going. I don't think he's going to get much done either if we look at the last two years and the progress that he's made. And bear in mind, like, the work that presidents do and the administrations, presidential administrations do, they frequently um, don't see results for, for, you know, some time, like the the, the understanding that the economy of this, uh, like of the first two years of a president's, um, of, a pre- of a president's presidency, right. <laughs> um, is really based more off of the work that the previous president had done. If that was the same president, then it's that president's work, but otherwise it's the previous president. But you do see some progress. You do see some change being made. You see some steps forward, at least. Um, and we haven't seen any of that. We've seen everything that Trump has tried to do from DACA to the border wall, trade wars, you know, pulling troops out of Syria, which now they're, they're backtracking on. We're no longer pulling troops out of Syria. It was just some kind of stunt. All of these things that he's trying to do to establish his legacy as a president. And it's all been just a, one huge failure after another. Right. Um, but back to the border, I want to also point out, so I lived in Mexico for a few years, Oh. Um, and it's, uh, when, when, when they when the P 
people on CNN and MSNBC and talk, they talk about how the 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 people who are a getting here and staying here illegally aren't doing it um, across the border. That's mostly asylum seekers that are finding their way to you know hike and stretch through the desert. These kinds of things. Um, that's the truth. What we're looking at here are destitute people who are looking to come to America where they can save the lives of their families and themselves. Um, right. And that's, the, that's what we're really facing. And, and that's why I still think it's so ironic that, yes, we need border security and we need uh, proper immigration reform. But to demonize and, and vilify these individuals who are literally running for their lives um, is, is just the lowest of lows. I just, uh, I'm, I'm wondering how much longer some people are going to be able to stomach it when we continue to see children dying in detention right. centers. You know, we continue to see families being tear gassed. It's, it's just treacherous. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's hard to know how we got to this place, uh, in American history where we're not, we have a new government in power and we're not even thinking about what the possibilities are for the future. We're just sort of cleaning up the mistakes of the uh, previous two years. Um, I think your other question is also a good one. Um, Who do you uh, think is going to break first? Who's going to break first? I can tell you one thing. After watching, ooh, okay, after watching Nancy Pelosi in that Oval Office just speak to that man like he was a child right. to dismiss his the, the stats that he brought to flaunt in front of the cameras to just make it appear that and make it uh, make it so obvious to everyone that was watching that she was in control right. in that room, <clears throat> and then w- watching her speak. Um, of course, when she was uh, voted to the be the speaker, um, <clears throat> and then excuse me, and then also watching her speak to the press when she gave press conference, and they continue to ask about the border wall funding and what she's going to do, and she just shuts it down. Um, and I love to see leadership take control of situations like that, so that we can move on. Because even viewers, even their constituents watching, uh, want that to happen. They, they're like, okay, already, I understand you media want to get clicks on these kinds of things, but let's move past this question now because I feel like she's been very clear about it. And she got even more clear there. And she said, she said let me make one thing perfectly clear. We are not doing a wall. We are not giving money for a wall, period. No questions asked. That is it. I'm not answering any more questions about that because it's a single answer. It's not happening. That's right. And it's also very interesting to watch uh, Nancy Pelosi come into the um, the position of power as majority leader again. You know, uh, you don't see that many people sort of uh, forced out by, pol- you know, by uh, party lines and then reemerge. And the, I would say the Republicans did their darnest to make her name, you know, uh, synonymous with uh just evil, the root of all yeah. evil, similar to Hillary Clinton. But she's back and she's commanding respect again, you know. And it wasn't um, easy. She did have to, like, I mean, she worked hard again when we were talking about this, how it was so easy for Speaker Ryan. Right. And when, when it came back to Nancy Pelosi being up again, every, and, and, you know, Schumer was up for minority leader again, but everyone was like, why is it such a question about Nancy Pelosi? Why is everyone saying, well, I'm not sure about this? I don't know if I want her as a leadership. She represents old leadership, da-da-da-da. When she had a good record before, and she was well on her way to do it again, she had to work her butt off again to get the votes. But she did it because she understands government. She understands collaborating. Right. And she worked with her party, you know, 235 individuals to get 200 of the votes. 
200 of them, including Ocasio-Cortez, who was questioning her at every step right. of the way, right. which we also That's appreciate. Exactly. Yeah. You know, she's pragmatic and she's realistic. Yeah. Um, it's really, really. So because of all of that, I think it'll be Trump. I think it'll be the White House um, that folds first. I, 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 we said two sides, but I think there is a middle. There's this mm-hmm. little middle child mm-hmm. called the GOP in, in Congress, yeah. and they don't know what the hell to do. They're just hoping that this ends soon because their president is like continuing to ruin the party name. Right, right, yeah. All of this is going to be so interesting to watch over the next uh, few months and per- potentially the next couple of years. Um, let's go back for a minute to uh, uh, the House itself. Um, yeah, lovely. W- what we might see over the next two years. Um, well, let's talk about... I want to I really quickly share something that we do see already um, because I think it's, it's incredibly powerful. Um, and a lot of people are talking about, I mean, I mean, it's got to the point, I've been sharing how there are some things that I am weirdly, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, but I'm weirdly happy about <laughs> Trump getting elected because mm-hmm. we have these individuals who were inspired through, you know, despised for Trump, but right. nevertheless, I, I'm, I'm so happy that they were inspired to run and get elected because we're sitting here now with, let me read this off, and this is from um, Ilhan Omar. Uh, a new new congresswoman. Um, you you've seen her. She's she wears uh the she wears her um headdress. That's I always right. The, the, her hijab. Yeah. Her hijab. Um, in Congress, the first one on the floor. She got the rules changed so that she could wear a headdress. It was really wonderful. But she tweets out. Um, the so we um the 116th Congress has so much to be proud of. We've got the first Somalia American refugee, mm-hmm. the first Muslim women the first indigenous women, the first Palestinian-American, the youngest woman, the youngest person, um, a record of over 100 women, and the largest ever black caucus, Hispanic caucus, and progressive caucus mm-hmm. in history, all because, I, don't, I mean, Trump became the epitome of like the, the lowest common denominator, and we had been right. continuing to drive towards that in Congress, and people stood up, regular Americans, intelligent passionate americans who want to do the job and not make a million dollars off of americans backs and get in there and do the job and they ran and they won and that's inspiring for me it is it is it really is and um and you know i uh, as we've gone further into this trump presidency i've been more inclined to uh understand this ridiculous character under the you know sense that he's not so much a person as the epitome of where America's at right now. Right. And it's kind of beautiful to see that on the other hand, the, you know, the response to that is where else America is, you know, uh, we're people who represent the working class, we're people who, uh, represent immigrants, who represent, uh, religious diversity, you know, um, and diversity of belief. So, you know, we were talking about Pelosi earlier, and now we're talking about what we'll see in the House with Democrats. I think the real test will be we have this establishment figure again in power representing the Democrats' side, as it were. How how are they going to work together, you know? Are they going to let uh, the far left sort of 
far left, you know, more left-leaning uh, The further Democrats. the GOP gets to the right, the further left we seem. Right. So, are we going to see factionality or are we going to see people who are working together pragmatically? And it was nice to see Ocasio-Cortez, you know, stand firm in herself and, you know, wink at everyone and vote for Pelosi. But we need to see that she's not going to compromise and that Pelosi is not going to pull everyone to sort of a a, a blind, you know. Right. Center right. I, I think they have no reason to. To be honest, the more and more I see of Pelosi, the more I hear her speak, and in her in her statements, it's become clear that she is very fully aware of how things are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's good to have someone like her at the realm now, at the helm now. And, I, and before, I wasn't so sure. I'm, I mean, I'll be honest. I was seeing these new freshmen come into Congress, and I was thinking maybe. You know, obviously we don't need a freshman as Speaker of the House, but maybe right. someone who's going to bring some new fresh ideas. And I and I definitely disregarded the possibility that Nancy was going to come with new fresh ideas, and she is. Um, I don't think that I think we're going to see uh, more conflict than we're used to. I think that the Democrats are going to try and work in, in a bipartisan way. But what you said, like rational and pragmatic. When we start to face things like $5 billion for steel slats that doesn't even cover, you know, a significant portion right. of the border, that's not pragmatic. That's not rational. So it's not it's not partisanship to say no unequivocally sure. to that, you know, and I think we're going to see a lot of that because I think that the Demo- I think that the Democrats are, are especially the ones that we have now um, have less ties to big money. Or fewer ties to big money, and they and they're they're ready to step up to the plate and start pushing back on these things. Right, um, and even you know, even in the Democratic establishment leadership, you know, I listened to an interview uh, between um, uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and um, a New York Times reporter, where Schumer said, you know, he and Pelosi part of their part of their agenda is. Elevating and supporting the working class, which is not something that you were hearing as much before, you know, Trump's base really made itself known to the world. You could say Trump's base. You could say uh, Ocasio-Cortez's base. A lot of it is the same people. I know. The people who are being, and he said, screwed, you know, by the U.S. Right. And pitted against one another. Right. That's so so terrible. Yeah. So, you know, if you can see populism used as a way to, uh, to elevate and motivate people who don't have as much of a voice then then we might see some progress but yeah i think we're going to see some investigations i think right. we already are um i i love the i love the, the immediate work now folks this is what a congress that is there to get work done mm-hmm. looks like you show up on day one and you don't start work on day one you arrive on day one with work you've already been developing right. with bills you're already putting in with with work to remove big money from from campaigns, mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the first policies that are, that are being pushed. The first bills that are going through were removing big money from politics. Right. Um, they're going to move to investigate certain situations going on all over with everything having to do with the presidential election and the pre- and the presidential sure. administration. Um, of course, they're also moving towards. Uh, you know, they're, they're, we're moving towards a new green deal. We don't have a we don't have a caucus on that yet, or any kind of exploratory community. Right, but, but we're actually talking about we're talking it. Right, about it a lot. Yeah. Um, and and I'm I'm really thrilled to to see this, this kind of work that's already happening along along with 
what everyone thought would dominate all the time, which mm-hmm. is investigations, 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 sure. fighting back against Trump, yeah. fighting back against Trump. We're I, working yeah. towards a, a workable government. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it helps that we have like a, a, almost 40 more members in the House than, mm-hmm. than the Republicans. So that I think that it was easy to kind of, for Nancy, and she knows... She knows the House of Representatives, and mm-hmm. so she knows how to navigate the bureaucracy. She knows the right. institution. She knows who to put in what committees. She knows what committees need to be doing what and how. Mm-hmm. Where Paul Ryan didn't, he was bass backwards in there. He didn't know up from down, he and new. he just stuck with yeah. the president, stuck with the president. And, and was pulled by, uh, you know, by the, uh, the radical caucuses. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 exciting. It's uh, a little bit terrifying, as with everything in the government right now. But uh, we'll see what happens. Um, so uh, we're going to take a short uh, music break. We're going to hear a couple of uh, songs, and then we'll be back for international news. Stick with us.
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule. Uh, now uh, let's hear some international news. But first, uh, Radio Free Brooklyn is proud to announce that we will be launching an after-school program for local teens this year in 2019 to learn media literacy through media making using a hands-on approach guided by local professionals. If you're interested in participating or donating to this program, please go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash after school. And remember, all donations are tax deductible. Uh, now, let's hear a little bit about uh, international news because the world did not just settle down and uh, wait for the U.S. to get its uh, things sorted out uh, in the new government. Um, Brazil's new president, Jair Bolsonaro, is provoking regular comparisons to Trump with his protectionist policies, environmental deregulations, 
uh, for the Amazonian region known as the Lungs of the Earth, and uh, promises to obliterate protections for the country's indigenous people. Now that he's taken office, Bolsonaro is delivering. He appears to be doing all of this and more, and even faster than uh, anticipated. So, um, you know, the the comparisons aren't too far off. Um, I Trump also promised many similar things, and he also hastened to get them rolling as soon as he uh, entered office two years ago. Um, so... You know, we've seen this in action for two years now. I'm wondering what we can understand uh, about what Brazil might see based on what we've seen with our own version of this guy. I, I, I've had some problems with the comparison. I get the the, the ignorance. I might, well, no, I'm sorry. There's there are just some distinct differences, um, in my opinion. I, because I, so, which means I also don't think I think we can expect certain things from the citizens mm-hmm. of Brazil um, in response, and I definitely think we can expect something from the global LGBTQI community. Yeah, we are going to see some serious pushbacks. Um, it's the reason that the the queer community saw the progress that they did um, in the time that we did, and not to say it wasn't a ton of work. And mm-hmm. very hard and spanned decades, and we still are dealing with uh, the oppression um, across all different intersection intersectioning demographics. We are still seeing that, but we made progress, I think, um, just based off of other progressive movements, um, much more rapidly. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was necessarily because of the times. I think it was because of our coalition. We had. We were we allied each other mm-hmm. instead of having gay men be one group and lesbian women be another group and bisexuals in another and right. queer and transgender the all everyone in their own separate areas we unified and we continue to do so even right. though people like to make fun of the acronym um, and so we're going to see I think we'll see from them a major like from us that is a major pushback across the world not just in Brazil mm-hmm. there is going to be a solid movement there. Um, and with the populace as well. But right. this guy brings in his ideology. Trump's not ideological, folks. He's not. He doesn't believe the crap that he's trying to make us mm-hmm. believe. He doesn't he's not he doesn't believe that we are in danger. Yeah, that's he's, a good point. He's not ideological. He's a capitalist to the bone. He's branding himself. He knows that he has to keep this promise or it makes him look bad. Right. He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care if you're gay or an immigrant or black mm-hmm. or brown. He only cares to the extent at which it makes or loses him money. Mm-hmm. Him personally. Yes. Right. And his brand. Um, this guy is ideological. He believes it. He believes that being queer is wrong. Mm-hmm. He believes that being gay or lesbian or bisexual is a choice. He believes that uh, transgender people have mental disabilities and they need to be locked up or put to death. These are things that he's, it's a, it's a phobia. And, and when you take this kind of fear mm. into an office, you see worse things happen. I fear for the LGBTQI community in mm. Brazil because of this guy, right? you know, because he, he will do damage to his own office, to his own party, to himself just to harm 
the queer community. That's right. That's absolutely true. And uh, we've already seen a few bills uh, passed, you know, rolling back protections for uh, LGBT um, Brazilians in addition to um, environmental deregulations with a similar philosophy. You know, he doesn't care and his government don't care what effect this has on the environment as a whole. They've said you know, just because, um, you know, the global north and because the, the, quote, Western society has destroyed their, you know, their own environments, we don't have to protect it for your sake. You know, we don't have to limit our logging and our industry, our farming for your sake. So it's that kind of philosophy. And that, uh, you know, we were hearing that also uh, with Brexit and we were hearing it to some extent in the U.S., so it's it's hard to say what's gonna what's gonna turn that around other than a huge popular movement. I think we'll see it though. I know, I know a number of Brazilians um, here in New York who are either here for school or work, but they're still citizens of Brazil. They are they're a they're they're obviously very unhappy about it. Right. Um, similar to how Americans were globally when Trump was elected, we were having to face these. Other, uh, you know, the other people are, are around us, like say you were in France or in Germany or, you know, Australia or something like that. Um, and people would be like, wow, y'all just elected Trump. Right. And we were like, okay, but you know, it's like, not me. It's not, I swear to God, yeah. most of us hate his guts right. passionately. Um, Brazilians are that way as well with this individual. And I mean, they're, but, you know, what can they do? It, it, there's this popular movement um, and he wins this, he wins the vote and gets elected. They saw it coming. Right. Um, and now they're they're ready to deal with it. Um, I think that a number of them are looking to uh, another reason why I'm kind of still like seeing the the upside of Trump getting elected. Mm-hmm. Look at what we've done in organizing. An organizer now is a completely nationally accepted professional career right. path. Community organizer. A community yeah. organizer is somebody who should be paid. Mm-hmm. Somebody who should specialize not just in their community but also in organizing. Um, and they need to they need to be a, a professional in this in this field, um, and we've developed that, and we've developed grassroots organizing, and we've developed you know crowdfunding in a mm-hmm. way that it hadn't been used before, and the use of social media and right. the free resources that we have, and I think the Brazilians are going to are going to be able to take away a lot from that, and hopefully we'll bring it to them. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. I, the other thing I wanted to look at is, uh, obviously, you know, we can compare Bolsonaro to Trump as much as we want. Brazil and the U.S. are two very different countries with very different histories and different, um, you know, standings in the, so- in the international community for, for, uh, you know, historically colonial reasons. But, uh, still, you know, when we think of Brazil, we think of South America, we think of many legacies of dictatorships that seized power and that were uh, replaced by popular movements and often ultimately replaced by other dictatorships. Um, you know, you can say some things about the U.S. regarding that, but um, how how is Brazil going to be different in reacting to this figure than the U.S. has been? How's, how is the movement going to be different? Well, it's going to be... Uh, that's a very good question. To be honest, I there the if you want to like pick a an, a country that is is reflective of the United States in terms of just racial diversity and cultural diversity, Brazil would be one of them mm-hmm. to to make that kind of cross comparison. They are very much like that. So I think that we're going to see a lot of similarities. I think we're going to see 
you know, diff- uh, possibly different groups unifying. I don't mm-hmm. know enough about them to know if they'll do the same, uh, take the same paths that we did where we're developing, you know, the the Women's March, when we're developing Black Lives Matter right. um, and these kinds of movements. Um, but I think that we'll see similar types of yeah. responses, honestly. I mean, when people take to the streets, you know, the, there's there's not as much of a, uh, a narrative of difference there. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this sort of brings us nicely into um, uh, the news from Hungary this week. Um, the, uh, um, excuse me, uh, thousands of protesters filled the street of Budapest this weekend in Hungary to protest the Prime Minister Viktor Orban's controversial new, quote, slave law, which requires workers to uh, work 400 hours of overtime and allows compensation to be delayed by employers up to three years. Uh, and the opposition to this law is united in ways that previous protest movements have not been. You know, people have filled the streets before, but we haven't necessarily seen the same people and the sheer numbers of people. So, um, People aren't going to... that. Th- this is one of the... It's one of the reasons that the shutdown is always... So controversial right. as well. It's like, and, and, and it's why um, anyone who's on the, on the, we're not going to agree to what you're trying to agree to give mm-hmm. us something else. And it's not, it hasn't always been Republicans. Um, Democrats have shut down the government as well. Right. But somebody does have to take the, the, the responsibility of it. And, it. and it's usually pretty clear like it is now. And so when when it comes to people working people's money individual impact so i don't mean economy i don't mm-hmm. mean gas prices i don't mean dow dropping i mean their money money that comes into their checking account twice a month or something like that um once you start to affect that mm-hmm. and what they what they expect what they live off of especially in countries um and in economies and we have an economy here where there are plenty of people who live paycheck to paycheck barely and they right. supplement it with government, you know, welfare and things. Um, they're, people don't respond well to that. I right. mean, they're, gonna, they're not going to go. They're not going to do it. They're not going to work those hours. Throw them in. They're be like, throw me in jail. I don't care. I'd rather sit in jail and not have to work for free. Right. You know? Right. And yeah, that's absolutely right. And the other, the other side of that is... <laughs> I think what would keep someone in out of the streets is what they have to lose, you know? Right. They could lose their jobs. They could lose their livelihoods. Mm-hmm. They could lose their, you know, their whatever, their families. Um, if you're forced to work, you're losing it already, yeah. you know? Forced to work for it's free. It's lost to you. I mean, it's essentially, you can't say delayed for three years. We all, no one is stupid enough to right. be like, okay, got you got it. I'll be back in three years for that check. Right. All right, see you then. Right, no, and especially second. if you're watching a destabilization yeah. in process. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm wondering, like, uh, we can see people in the streets, but <laughs> in all of these cases, you know, in our own case in Brazil and Hungary, what's the tipping point? What's the point is at which the people in the streets actually can claim power and change things in the government? Um, and I'm not sure. You know, we may have to watch it. It's different for all, um, and it all comes down to this I think in this there's push. We'll see mm-hmm. the the people in the streets. We'll see not only this this new law that he's made and right. um, not not produce results that he wanted, but produce the opposite results. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully, what the outcome will be <coughs> is them 
changing the law or right. just repealing it. Or I'm not sure how their legislative system works, but getting rid of that law. Um, I think, you know, as we continue to, as it continues to stand um, and people continue to push back, I don't think, it's like you said, without anything to lose, where do they go? They just mm-hmm. keep fighting. Right. They just keep pushing back. And the the defending side will slowly start to dissipate in numbers. Like right. people will fall out it of that movement and they don't want to be a part of this anymore. And they're tired of defending something that they don't know, know if they necessarily even believe in anymore. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a numbers game. And eventually there is either something crazy like the government <laughs> getting overthrown, which is not super common. Right. But, or an extended or, civil war. Yeah, yeah, an extended civil mm-hmm. war. Um I, I feel like those usually fall on more ideological like lines. Mm-hmm. So if it's something that the administration or or whomever that's running the country believes strongly in this and the the populace doesn't, um, then you can see that happening. But, but with economical stuff, well, I mean, I guess it's on both sides of it. It's it is frightening, um, but also encouraging to see the people standing up and saying, "No, you're not going to do this to us. You're not." Because this is bad for everyone. Yeah. The continued deterioration of the economy in 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 these parts of the world um, is bad for all of us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think we can take that <laughs> into our break. We're going to uh, play a couple more tunes for you, uh, and then we'll be back with international news here. What's up with that dubious L train? Stick with us. Siempre amarnos Corazón, tú sí sabes 
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule. You're listening live on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, and if you want to listen to us more when you're, say, not in front of your computer, uh, you can download our free mobile app um, for iPhone or Android. It's right on the App Store for uh, iPhone, and it's on Google Play if you're an Android uh, kind of person. Um, and you can also listen to back episodes on Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app hear what we've been up to in previous weeks. So uh, let's get into some local news. Um, So we had a surprise announcement by Governor Cuono this week (laughs) that the long-anticipated and long-dreaded 15-month full shutdown of the L train is canceled, and the train is going to continue to run on nights and weekends. Magically, the train repairs will continue on the same schedule (laughs) using tech that would allow it to keep running. Uh, And this came as a shock not only to New Yorkers, but also to the MTA in the New York City Department of Transportation, who were the ones planning this complete repair. Um, So, (laughs) woohoo, and also what? Um, It's a relief for a lot of us, uh, you know, at Radio Free Brooklyn, uh, especially, you know, we're right in Bushwick on the L train, um, and it's sort of vital for us to get around. Um, And we've been talking for a long time about what we're going to do. 
Now it seems like the conversation is going to shift back <laughs> to the massive delays there will be because uh, Cuomo is planning to... With can, a lift? Like, why right. does MTA suck so bad? How right. did it... Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whereas there are usually two tunnels, two tubes through which the L train uh, moves, there will be one tube and we can expect... It will run slowly and with uh, various issues. Um, so, um, what's this going to look like? What What do we think we're going to see? You know, should we rely on the L train? Should we continue with our alternate plans? I rode my bike here because the G train wasn't running, even though the L train was. Right. I uh, I think so. Back in the day, when I first moved to New York in two thousand seven, right around the time that they were going to start opening the l train mm-hmm. um it was like that it was it you know of course new train lines always face these kinds of issues so there were delays there were signal issues there was yada 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 um and it was still manageable people still wanted to come to williamsburg people still wanted to live in williamsburg people you know even tourists and travel traveling here to so i don't think i think that people may be a little bit more agitated mm-hmm. while they're on the L train. But to be honest, in my experience, as soon as you get off of a train that had experienced major delays or anything like that, you immediately move on. Right. Um, if they want to change the narrative, the tone of MTA that New Yorkers have, it's going to take a lot more. Um, and if they want, and making it worse is, I, I think shutting the L train down for a year and a half mm-hmm. makes it worse than dealing with an L train that may have technical issues or or, or delays or things like that. Right. Um, Yeah. They got to get these people and they need the money. Right. I brought that up at the beginning. It was like two years ago when they started talking about this, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe more. Yeah. Maybe three years ago when they started talking about shutting down the L train. um, And I, I said right then and there, I was like, there's way too much development and purchasing of, you know, airspace for, right. for things like that out here in this part of Brooklyn all along the L train line uh, where there are probably already billions of dollars invested mm-hmm. waiting for the opportunity to 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 get these developments going. Right. For example, in our neighborhood where we are now, they can't build apartments until mm-hmm. they change until they rezone it but they're waiting there are investors who are sitting on this waiting for these opportunities and so to shut down the l train for a year and a half to shut down the existing development that's already been happening the people who have moved out here either purchased property or moved out here permanently it would put a huge dent in in the the checkbooks of of the developers and yeah. that was why i thought it's like i don't think it's gonna happen it it's won't happen too much it's a long it. ways yeah. away in fact it's, it was so out there i i honestly still think that there was something going on below the surface that we didn't see mm. of people using Money basically the hands. l line yeah. to well to to like a game of chicken almost like all right we'll just shut it down watch we'll print it in the you know in the new york times tomorrow mm-hmm. it'll show up and everyone's gonna freak out and if you don't change your mind, we'll shut it down. It was kind of like this whole government shutdown yeah. thing where we're all like, the rest of us are like, wait, 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 don't, don't, don't shut down the L train. Yeah. No, you can't do that. We need the L train. Um, and we, wherever that pressure went, right. um, which I don't really know where, where that right, pressure where went. I just knew it was exactly. there. But that yeah. pressure, I think, may have also been tied up into financial interest and trying to force someone's hand yeah because the other question is where are they going to get the money for this you know where is the nearly bankrupt mta going to get the money for this uh you know fancy new technology from europe well cuomo knows all the billionaires and trillionaires and kajillionaires so yeah i mean the the other interesting part of this is um 
there were a lot of conversations happening that were sort of adjacent to the shutdown about the future of the city and what it's going to look like, you know, because North Brooklyn, uh, Bushwick and Williamsburg are uh, in a lot of ways the newest and hottest parts, you yeah. know, there were the new people, the new money, the new quote unquote hipsters are going. The new style you know? of New York, the right. new style, right. the new face of New York City. Right. And if those people can't live or won't live in, in this part of the uh, city anymore, where are they going to go? Yeah. So, you know, people in South Brooklyn are were talking with fear about, you know, are these people going to be moving into our communities, displacing us, you know, mm -hmm. displacing the culture, sort of pasting over the, um, the Bushwick-Williamsburg scene? Um, and it's interesting to see that switch a little bit, yeah, you know. I'm thrilled. I mean, and to be honest, like, not only, A, um, I'm here once a week. Right. Uh, B, I live like three blocks away from here. I mean, that that helps. So it wouldn't have the L train wouldn't have affected me getting here once a week, but it may have affected just me over the overall existence of Radio Free Brooklyn even existing yeah. in this neighborhood. Yeah, you know, RFB yeah. would change a lot. I, um, I work right. remotely, so that was going to help. Mm -hmm. uh, I mostly work remotely, um, so at home, so I'm not using the L train again. But we have um, Airbnb, mm -hmm. and we. I mean, you shut down the L train nobody's going to want to stay in this yeah. part of New York City. How are they going to get anywhere? Even, I mean, they were saying maybe leave it open to Lorimer or something, but still. Yeah. Like, it, once it, I, we get mostly Europeans um, and and a little bit of, like, maybe some from Japan and, mm -hmm. and China and, and, and South Korea, um, but mostly Europeans and, and Great Britain. So we were terrified we're like okay we worked all we worked really hard to develop this and there are a lot of people yes. in this neighborhood who have done that and rely on the l train for their like even like independently owned, like small businesses mm -hmm. and when people are supplementing their income with you know what whichever people who own these buildings families own these buildings out here right. who rely on the l train for people to want to live out here to rent these spaces um and what we were afraid of a lot of people were afraid of. it was like once the l train shuts down nobody's gonna want to stay here nobody's right. gonna want to come to this part of new york city if they can't be in manhattan in less than 20 minutes right and you know so i think for all these reasons that you said and you know some more it's it's gotta happen we ha we need an l train but the question is how are we going to if the mta in uh new york city uh ny dot we're sort of blindsided by this Cuomo announcement. How's this going to happen? How are we going to get the train where it needs to be? Or is it just going to be, you know, the the long-running joke of the MTA that doesn't run in the, you know, in one of the major international cities in the world? I think it'll run. <laughs> I don't believe the stories that we were fed and are still being fed. I just don't believe it. I'm not, I just, I, I feel like it, I'm, You've, if we're smarter than that and we know it's like well the tech it's we they worked for years on developing this and then all of a sudden like cuomo's engineers mm -hmm. come marching up in there and be like nope we're canceling it right. we're gonna do it this other better way right and they're like how did you develop that so quickly like, well the technology didn't exist before how come when the technology yeah, became into so existence the mta too. didn't know about it why doesn't the mta know when this technology comes into existence why don't they know that yeah how did they not know Long enough for Cuomo's team to fully develop a separate plan 
And wait a minute, where did his team get access to the institutional awareness and, and internal knowledge to be able to develop a plan right. for it's MTA? It's one of those things where just, you lift the cover off and yeah, nothing makes sense. Doesn't work. Not doesn't even the same up. machinery. <laughs> Como, if you're listening, we need more answers. Yeah. We Give us them. answers, Como. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for listening to Objection to the Rule uh, on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be back next week for with more stories and news. Uh, you can uh, stay tuned for What is Love with Sasha Sugar. And uh, thanks for listening. All right. See you, everyone.